So we're going to look at one of my favorite scripture passages in 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, Mr. Herbie. Can you hear me? Okay. He only doesn't hear me when he doesn't want to hear me. That's what it is. Now, we're going to pick up this story in verse 7 of 1 Kings 19. It says, And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. He's speaking to Elijah, the great prophet. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And so he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel forsaken your covenant and torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek to take away my life. You ever feel that way on a Monday morning? Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks to pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. Hmm, Sounds like a good old-fashioned tornado to me. And after the wind, an earthquake. We had one of those. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a small, still voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone have left, and they seek to take my life. Man, he was a good Baptist. (laughs) Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Maloah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael... Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all those whose knees have not bound to Baal, or every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day, and thank you for just being with us. And Father, we just ask you to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you'd make your word come alive. We pray that we'll take this and we'll engraft it, Lord, and we'll grow from it. And, Lord, we'll praise you as you do this for us. In Christ's name, amen. I believe as a pastor that probably the one emotion more than any other uh, that really uh, has an effect on our faith is discouragement. Every Sunday, it seems like the pews have discouraged people in them. And every Monday, across our land, they have discouraged pastors in their offices. But you see, we need to understand that uh, many people think that if you admit you're discouraged, 
you admit that you're a failure as a Christian. But I want you to know that is not true. Okay? Discouragement is a part of our makeup as humans. It's how we handle it and live above it that marks us as Christians. And so I wanted to look is the key in living above it. And so we look at Elijah as a biblical example of discouragement. First of all, realize no one is immune to discouragement. I want you to think about it. Here is Elijah. He's just won a great spiritual victory. He has killed the prophets of Baal and the Asheroth on Mount Carmel. He has called down fire to do the thing. The people are so afraid, they bow their knee and start saying, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. He prays and it rains for the first time in three and a half years. Elijah had burst upon the scene years before, okay, on Israel's history like a lightning bolt. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He stopped the rain. He called down fire from heaven. And he boldly spoke out against Ahab and wicked queen Jezebel. You see, he didn't like the Israelites' moral laxity and their sense of entitlement and indulgement. And he spoke against king and country. But even the great Elijah faced discouragement. If you were to read earlier in this chapter, uh, before we started in... in, uh, In verse 4, it says this, But he himself went a day's journey in the wilderness. He sat down under the broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. He said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. He was discouraged. Now, you need to understand that no one is immune to discouragement. If they tell you that they are, they're not telling you the truth. Okay? At some point in our lives, if you haven't been discouraged, you will be. And if you are, you'll get over it. Did you hear that? But we need to sort of look at it about discouragement. Always remember your day could be worse. There's a children's book called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. I read it just to make sure I knew what it said. Alexander awakened this particular Monday morning. To find the gum that had been in his mouth was now in his hair. Okay? It was in his mouth that night when we went to sleep, and now it's all over his hair. That's a good way to start the day. And so as he's doing this to his hair and headed for the bathroom, he skipped, he slipped on his skateboard and fell down. And brushing his teeth, his sweater got wet. Nothing went right at school. After school, of all things, his mother had made him a dentist appointment. And... When he got home, she had made lima beans, which he hated, for supper, and he had to eat them. His bedtime bath was a disaster. The water was too hot. He got soap in his eyes, and his favorite marble actually rolled down the drain. When he went to bed, his pillow wasn't there. Nobody could find it. The Mickey Mouse light wouldn't work, and the cat, of all things, wanted to sleep with his sister instead of him for the first time in three years. It was a horrible, bad, terrible, very bad day. Now, I say all that to say this. Good spiritual people have bad days. Good spiritual people are not immune by being discouraged. 
we need to admit our humanity and know that discouragement in life can happen. But for those of us who notice people who are discouraged, Galatians 6.2 says to bear one another's burdens. Some people think that later on in that same passage in a verse or two later, Paul says bear your own burdens. And so they think there's a contradiction in Scripture, but it's really not. We are to bear the burden of others when we see Satan attacking them and outside influences discouraging them because that is our burden to help them. God places on us burdens, jobs that we have, burdens on our heart that we're to do, and those are ours to bear for the cause of Christ. But we're to bear one another's burdens. And so if you see somebody that's really discouraged, God is calling you and letting you know you're the one that needs to help bear that burden. I hear it all the time, well, so-and-so is really, really bad off, and, and blah, 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 blah. I said, well, have you called them? Well, no, I was telling you. Well, have you gone by to see them? No, I was, I was wanting you to. Well, no, you know, I don't mind doing that. That's part of a pastor's work, but I want to tell you something. If God enlightened your eyes that they're real discouraged, guess what? That's your burden to carry, to bear for somebody else. But don't think that you're immune to discouragement because if you think you are, Remember a fellow in the Bible named Job. What can go wrong will go wrong. Then I wanted to look tonight at causes of discouragement. I'm trying to get my words mixed up. Causes of discouragement. The same ones that I think Elijah experienced will be in our life also. Okay. First, there was physical exhaustion. When you... Read what Elijah did. One little old lady put him, named Jezebel, to flight. I don't know how a prophet of God who had been through all that he'd been through, who the ravens had fed, who the widow Zarephath had fed, the oil didn't run out. Okay, I don't understand how he can stand there on Mount Carmel, confront all of his enemies, and win a great victory. And then Jezebel says and sends words to him, I'm going to do the same to you tomorrow at this time. And rather than just saying, okay, lady, let's see if you can handle God, he takes off. He runs. I think he was physically exhausted, okay? He goes so far that his servant evidently isn't moving fast enough, so he leaves him in a town, and he goes out in the middle of the desert and goes to sleep under a broom plant. Some of yours will say a sycamore tree or a juniper tree, but it's the, the, the Hebrew means a plant that was a broom plant. It went up like this, and it, it went down like some of the fancy grasses that people have in their yard, and you can get underneath them. Again, I don't know what he was thinking, because if you're in the desert, the only shady spot's going to be a, a, a place for snakes, and he crawled underneath it and said, I want to die. But there's physical exhaustion. Fatigue leads to discouragement. One of my football coaches used to say that fatigue leads to cowardice. And he would run us enough that we were never going to be fatigued during the game. The other team was supposedly be fatigued and they would give up. And sometimes it worked. But you see, it leads to discouragement. So what am I telling you? In our day, it's nothing to burn the candle at both ends. Here's the problem with that. Eventually they meet in the middle. I had one of my pastor friends say, well, I'd rather burn out for God in a blaze of glory. Than... And I said, you're not in a sprint. You're in a lifelong race. Okay. And so you need to understand that there is such a thing as getting rest. 
and food and some relaxation. I think rest means time alone with God. You fill in your blank. Okay, That's why he said in uh, Psalm chapter 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I am God. And in our day, we think that we can't be still and we have to fill every waking moment with some kind of sound. Turn it all off. Get alone with God. Leave your phone somewhere else. And be still and know that He is God. Go to bed at a decent time. Get up at a decent time and go. And then also in Isaiah 40, 31, He said, They that wait, they that wait on the Lord, shall rise up on eagles' wings. They shall run and not be weary. Okay? They'll walk and not be tired. Okay. Do you understand that's not just for young people? That's for all of us to wait on the Lord. So be still and wait. Okay, And that's part of your relaxation process. That's part of the rest God intends you to do. Okay, We used to really talk a lot about keeping the Lord's day holy. And you're resting on the Lord's day. That's why I think it's biblical to take a nap on Sundays. It's the day I like to take them the most, but, you know, some people argue with that. So, Now, so there was physical exhaustion. The second thing is this. Do you realize that one of the sources of discouragement for a Christian is people who are used by Satan? You say, what, what do you mean? Jezebel was partially responsible for Elijah's discouragement. I'm going to get you, Elijah. Nobody can save you from me. Let's see what your God does, Elijah. I'm going to make sure you're God, just like you did to my false prophets, you call them. I'm going to get you. He cut their throats. She was going to cut his. It's somebody used by Satan. And we fail to see that Satan uses people. Now, here's the way I want you to understand it. When you are trying to serve God, you better expect there's going to be discouraging people that Satan puts in your way. They will criticize they will badmouth you. They will talk about you. And all you're doing is trying to serve God the best way you know how. Get ready. It's going to happen. Expect it. Okay? Don't be discouraged by these kind of folks. Another thing is unreal expectations. Here's Elijah. Fire comes down from heaven. It consumes the meat for the altar it consumes the wood. It consumes the water that he had drenched it with and even the trench. And, and it just consumed everything. And the people fall down and start saying, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. He gets all the false prophets that had been up there. And they take them to the brook Kishon, Kidron and kill them. He's thinking the spiritual revival is going to come. Not only that, they've been without rain. They've been in a drought for three and a half years. He begins to pray and says, and servant, so there's just a little hand. And he says, tell Ahab, get going. It's going to rain. And he lifts up his skirts, or his robes, not skirts. I would hate to wear a robe all the time. But he lifts them up. He girds himself, and he outruns him in the chariot back to his, to his castle, or his capital. <coughs> And he expected revival to come out. Listen to me. He had unreal expectations. 
They'd been in sin so, so long that one fantastic moment wasn't going to change their hearts. It was going to take God time to change their hearts. As we work in the kingdom of God, we'll have these experiences. We think, finally, finally, it's going to happen. And if we have unreal expectations and it doesn't happen, we're discouraged. You ever work really hard and you expect a good turnout and two or three show up? Don't get discouraged. Okay? You're there for the two or three. God's always worked with the few. Remember Gideon's army? Do you understand that? Don't have unrealistic expectations. So he was tired. The people used by Satan had got to him. He had unreal expectations. Okay? And I think for a brief moment that he failed to remember who his God was. The same God who answered his prayer and sent the fire from heaven. The same one who started the drought and ended the drought. The same one who had fed him with the ravens by the brook and by the widow. That's the same God who still was in control when Jezebel threatened him. And yet for some reason it struck a note of fear because he realized things hadn't changed the way he thought they would change. Remember who your God is. Okay. We need to ask that. If we go through the mountaintop experiences, realize there's going to be the valleys of discouragement. It's the ebb and flow of our life. And as wonderful as the mountaintop experiences, I think I said this this morning, understand something, we learn to rely on God in the valleys. The times that aren't as exciting, the times that are hard, the times that are low, that's when we learn who our God really is. Don't get me wrong. I, like you, yearn for the mountaintop experiences. They're wonderful. But we live in the valley as we walk through life. And it doesn't matter whether it's family or work or church or something else. There's going to be valleys of discouragement. And that's when you cling to Psalm 23. So what are some cures for discouragement? Okay. Well, we've sort of talked about some of them. First one is accept the fact of discouragement. I am discouraged. Okay, Even the Apostle Paul faced discouragement in 2 Corinthians, I think it's 12, 17, when he talked about the thorn in his flesh and God would not remove it because he said, in your weakness, I am made strong. Okay, or he, What he told him was, my grace is sufficient for you. And that's when Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Because His grace is sufficient. So accept the fact the discouraging times will come. And, and acceptance, to me, here, here's what I want you to get. Acceptance means I'm not going to fall apart. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep on keeping on. The second thing is admit your humanity. God not only knows it, He accepts it. You're to walk by faith in grace in Jesus Christ. Uh, You are not Superman. You are not the Lone Ranger. You're not whatever your favorite hero is. You are human. I am human. There are times when we have to sleep, times when we have to eat, times when we have to tell others no. There are times when we have to get alone with God and get some refreshment. Okay? That means to do exactly that. Admitting you're human means... There are a certain amount of time in the day that I can do things, and a certain amount of time I got to get some rest. Okay? We need to understand that. Uh, The third thing 
acknowledge that you are dependent upon God. We are not alone. Sometimes we think in discouraging times, if we just had the answer, it would make everything better. What we need is not the answer. We need His presence. Because the worst times are when we fail to feel His presence. He is the answer. His presence in our lives is the answer. His care for us is the answer. Okay? We need Him rather than an explanation. It sort of works like this. I can remember being very young, and one of the most pleasant memories I have of of my childhood with my father was when he decided one night that I could go fishing with him. He was home, and so he took us fishing. Now, we didn't leave till after dark because the catfish didn't bite till after dark. And we were in Nebraska, and it was a certain river, and... and, uh, I can remember walking across that flat field and down there to the river. And, and, uh, and Dad, I was four years old. He threw it out for me. He stuck a stick there. He said, hang on to it so you'll know. And then he walked down. And I, it's dark. I'm four, and it's really dark. It's dark, and I can hear the coyotes howling. It's dark. And there, I didn't know what a bullfrog was. And I could hear the bullfrogs going. And I'm scared. And a little bit, my dad did something for me. He just whistled a little tune. So I'd know he was right down there. I couldn't see him, but he was right there. And I can remember him whistling that tune a little bit. And the minute I hear a fish splash, he's got one. And the minute I ask him, Dad, what's it mean when my pole is pulling out of my hand? He said, reel it, reel it. I didn't even know what reel it means, so he had to come over there and help me. Okay? But the best thing he did for me was that whistle. I'm still here. Even if you can't see me. Even when you can't see God, his promise is he's still with you. Whether it's a high time or a low time, whether you're discouraged or you're happy, God is still with you. And that should bring some help. The last thing I want to say about a cure for discouragement is this, and it goes along with God being with you. You need to get out a sheet of paper. You need to write the times that you thought things were almost hopeless and how God helped in that situation. How God moved in and changed your situation. How God answered your prayers. Or maybe it was the fears you thought of things that were going to happen, and they did not happen because God took care of it. They're called spiritual markers, spiritual signposts, uh, whatever you want to call them. Experiencing God told us to call them that. And, and you need to keep record of those because the God who worked that way in the past is still the God who doesn't change. He'll work that way in the present. And you've been keeping track of God and how he answers your prayers and what he does for you. And then remember the... The scripture, tears may come in the nighttime, but joy comes in the morning. Look for your morning. Ask God for the song of your salvation, the joy of your salvation. Okay? Get among some good godly people. Share your burdens. Let them pray with you and over you. And just snuggle in real tight and watch how it helps. I guess there's one more thing, and I forgot to mention it. I told you that was the last one. It's not. Go 
and help other people. That's God's will. We help one another. There's always someone in worse shape than you are. If you really get discouraged, I want you to go down to the nursing home. Don't say, oh, that'll depress me. No, you look at how much better off you are than some of those poor folks. Go to the hospital and visit some of those folks that are struggling with uh, cancer. If you really want touched on how good you have it in your life, go to the children's hospital and spend about three hours down there and watch those kids. Did you realize... Lord, I'm sorry I'm discouraged. I I let this get to me. But Lord, thank you that my family's healthy. Or thank you that this is happening. Or thank you that that is going on. Because it may be serious. It may be painful. But Lord, we're going to make it. And that will help you. There's something about serving other people that helps us. My father-in-law, one of my greatest helpers told me this Gary nothing is final until God says it's final and so I began to look in the Bible to see if he was really right I should have known he was really right here's what I found there was a guy named Abram had no kids didn't have hope of having any kids you realize when God called him he was 75 years old now some of you are past that and you say that's not that old amen Okay, It just feels that old some days, right? They're not going to admit that, Brother Ronnie. But you see, it wasn't over. God didn't say it was over. God called him and said, I'm going to give you an heir. Oh, really? And he followed him. And he got the heir at 100. It's not over until God says it's over. Lord, I don't want another heir at 100. (laughs) Elizabeth, don't ask for that. You remember a fellow named Moses? The way we break his life down is we think that when he killed the Egyptian and had to flee Egypt, he was around 40. He spent 40 years wandering as a shepherd in the desert. God was preparing him to wander and be a shepherd to those people. At 80, you'd think he's getting ready to retire and God says, oh no, I got something for you to do. It wasn't over until he was 120 and he died looking at the promised land. Because he had sinned and brought glory to himself rather than God. But you see, it wasn't over until God said it was over. Do you remember our Savior? They put him on a cross. They nailed him there. He died on that cross. The Romans checked to make sure he was dead with that little short spear they had. And they stabbed him in the side and blood and water flew out, meaning that he was dead, dead. And I can think that Satan was dancing and thinking it was over. It's over. I defeated God. But it wasn't over because God didn't say it was over. Because three days later, he rose from the dead. It's not over till God says it's over. So don't you be giving up. Because until God says it's over, I'm calling you home. It's not over. So when you're discouraged, has God told you, it's done, it's over? Or is he still waiting on you to look up and see that he is high and lifted up, sitting on his throne? The seraphim are still singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory.
And Jesus is at his right hand making intercession for us still tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Nobody really wants to admit they're discouraged. Maybe tonight you just need to come and thank God that you're going through a season of life that isn't discouraging. Maybe you need to thank God that nothing's over until he says it's over. Maybe you need to thank God for your salvation. Maybe you need to come for salvation. Maybe you need to come for rededication. Maybe some other decision. I don't know, but God has given you this opportunity to respond to him and his word. Just as Elijah had to discover that small, still voice speaking to him as he said, There are still all these in Israel who have not bowed down to Baal or kissed him with their lips. I'm still in control, Elijah. And maybe you need to come and acknowledge that tonight. Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you made us for happy times and also, Father, for discouraging times. Because it's there, Lord, that I don't know about everybody else, but it's there I learn how good you really are, how wonderful you can be, and what a God of love you are. Now, Lord, let us make the decisions public that need to be made public. Father, in Christ's name, amen.